And then after you've done it, you can sit down. So what did they say in return? <laughs> it's good things? Did they say, I'm glad to see you too? <laughs> I'm glad to see you, especially in the middle of the summer when so many people are traveling and away. Uh, good to have you here this morning. Uh, you know, we are, we are doing a series right now called The Young and the Reckless. Uh, you uh, may be reminded of the soap opera, The Young and the Restless. We're not talking about that. We're talking about The Young and the Reckless. People, young people in the scriptures who are reckless for God. Young people in the scripture who are willing to lay down their lives and say, God, hear me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And in fact, at this church, that's precisely what we try to do is we try to train and teach and encourage our young people to do amazing things for God. And that's why we've sent, um, sent a group of kids to, to Mexico. We raise the funds here. Um, it's why we raised $25,000 to buy a bus so that we could send them on these trips. And we've got all kinds of things lined up for them to do when they get back. Uh, not just the kids that went to Mexico, but a lot of the young people who couldn't go. Um, we want them. We want them to get out there and serve God and do amazing things for God. That's why we sent Wendy to China, and she comes back and reported last week that she's ready to go back in a minute. Is that right, Wendy? Ready to go back in a, in a, in a minute. And uh, Felicia's there in Zambia, attempting to do great things for God, attempting to make a difference in this world. How many people come to the end of their lives and they say, what was my life about? What, what did I accomplish? What did I do? What meaning did it have? I'm going to tell you, I've done, I've been a pastor now for 25 years. I've done a lot of funerals. And I have to tell you, the hardest funerals are the ones where at the end of that person's life, they really had nothing to show for it. They haven't done anything. They haven't served anyone. They haven't, nobody's crying at the funeral because they didn't make it, they didn't touch anyone's lives. Here's a humorous experience of a couple of young people sent out by their church to, to make a difference in their community. These two young church members went door to door to invite people to, to come to church. When they knocked on one door, it was immediately clear that the woman who answered the door had no interest in talking to those young people from that church. And so she told them in no uncertain terms, get off my property, I'm not interested in hearing what you've got to say. She slammed the door on, on them right in their face, and the, the door popped open again. She slammed it again, the door popped open again. She slammed it again, and she's sure now that these young people got their foot in the door, <laughs> and they don't want her to slam that door. But uh, finally, one of the young people said, Man, before you slam that door again, maybe you should move your dog. <laughs> You never know what you're going to experience when you get out there and try to serve God. And so our, our young people had quite a, an amazing experience. And uh, yesterday, as I got that text message, I, I sensed a little bit of, um, what's, what would be the word? Not fear, but maybe a little bit of anxiety. Our bus isn't working. And I said, don't worry. God's in control. It's all going to work out. And just in a matter of minutes, the, the thing was solved. Now, I want to just tell you this this morning. God has called us. Not just, not just young people to serve him. He's called all of us. It doesn't matter how old you are today. This message that I have for you is, uh, is for you. <laughs> no matter how old you are, no matter what your age. And so this morning, what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Christ. 
Now, uh, I don't know if anyone here has heard of Anne Rice. She wrote a book called Christ the Lord Out of Egypt. It was a bestseller and uh, quite popular. Now, what she tries to do is she tries to imagine Jesus' life uh, as a child. And before I go any further, let me just say this. The scripture is pretty silent about what Jesus' younger years were like. Uh, what Anne Rice does is she borrows from uh, a book called The Gospel of Thomas, which uh, through the centuries has not been acknowledged by the church in general to be uh, inspired word of God. We call it apocryphal. And she has young Jesus using his powers to exact revenge on his friends. Can you imagine? This does not sound like the Christ you and I know. He actually had the town people scared of him and wanting him gone since he wasn't playing nicely with other children. This is what it says. He was striking them down dead. But he always undid the bad things and, and caused uh, those that were struck dead to be risen, rose, risen from the dead again. She uh, relates a story of how when he was playing in the mud, he would create little birdies out of the mud and then breathe life into them and they'd fly away. She relates how uh, when her dad, when his dad was, was uh, doing some carpentry work and one of the boards wasn't quite long enough, he applied his power and stretched that board out to make it fit. Yikes. <laughs> you could see where this is going. Now, the, the scripture, my friends, is pretty silent about Jesus' childhood. It tells us that he was born in Bethlehem. It tells us that when Herod was jealous of him and wanted to kill him, that his parents, being told by God, whisked him away to Egypt until Herod died, brought him back to settle in, the, in, in his town of Nazareth. The Bible's clear that Jesus' mother was the Virgin Mary, and that his father was Joseph, and so we call him Jesus bar Joseph of Nazareth. We know from the scripture that Jesus was dedicated, according to Jewish law, on the eighth day. And today we're going to be dedicating um, little Claire at the end of the service. We're looking forward to that. And then what we know about Jesus is, is recorded in Luke chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, take them please and turn there. And the Bible in Luke chapter 2, relates how when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents went down to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And um, they had completed the feast and they were on their way home. And when they got home, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And so they turned around and went back. And uh, you might say, well, how did that happen? Well, in those days... Uh, uh, you've heard the expression, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, literally, that's what happened. Everybody sort of took care of one another. And uh, Jesus, at 12 years of age, would have been considered uh, like a young man. And uh, so, but anyways, they got, they got back to, to Nazareth, and Joseph is nowhere around. And so, on their way back to Jerusalem, they uh, finally found him. It says in verse 48, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, you have why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now listen to this, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so the Bible is mostly silent about Jesus' young life. But this we do know. We want to look at this verse this morning, verse 52. Because if you look at this verse, you'd have to admit that Jesus, in his day, compared to teenagers in our day, lived a pretty radical life. He grew in wisdom and stature physically, and he grew in favor with God and with man. I want us to to consider that this morning, that one verse. What does it mean to live radically for God? This is the beginning of living radically for God. This is the beginning of truly serving God with your whole heart. It means to keep growing. And so let's look at this. First of all, we find that Jesus continues to grow in wisdom. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and, and men. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I think that young people today are not nearly as mature as they were when I was young. Would everybody agree with that? Because that was many, many years ago when I was young. I remember uh, at, at age 10 getting on a bus and going downtown to Eaton's to meet my friends there and just look around and do a bit of shopping. Can, can anybody remember those days when you could do something like that? I remember having a paper route at age 11, and I remember uh, being a helper in Sunday school at age 14 and then actually teaching Sunday school at age 15. I remember that it was very important that that I... I continue to learn and to grow and to become older, wiser, more mature. That was important. I told you back a few weeks ago that the term teenager is a, is a term that was just, just started to be used in the, in the last, uh, last 50 years. It was a term that had never been used before, never been heard of. You were a child, and then you were an adult. But there was no, none of that middle, those, that, that middle, the middle years. Nobody, nobody referred to the teenage years. You were a child, and then you began to mature, and you began to, to, to grow wise, and you began to learn. What we've done, my friends, is we have created a generation that does not want to grow up, that does not want to grow wise, that does not want to learn. And consequently, it goes right on into adulthood. But I want you to look at Jesus. Jesus, at 12 years of age, is growing in wisdom. He's maturing. He's growing. He's becoming wiser. He's a learner. Before we sent our team to Mexico to do this, it was just not a very long period of, of time. They've only been away for, only been away for two weeks. But we made them come every Sunday afternoon for an hour to go through a discipleship class. Why? Because, listen to me, my friends. Before you can do anything of any significance for others, you've got to have some wisdom. You've got to do some learning. You've got to do some growing. And it's something that we just don't really like doing too much because it takes work. Here's Jesus in the temple. Here he is in the temple courts. 
After three days, it says in verse 46 of chapter 2, after three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I want to ask you a question today. How would people describe you? Would they describe you as wise, as someone who knows the Scripture, as someone who, who understands how to maneuver in this life, how to live in this life? We live in an age now of, of unprecedented, unprecedented irresponsibility. Nobody takes responsibility for themselves anymore. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's responsibility. It's somebody else's duty to take care of me. And if I mess up financially, I can always declare bankruptcy. If I mess up legally, well, I just have to say I'm sorry and the judge will let me off with a slap on the wrist and that'll be the end of it. But this is not the Jesus that we find in the Scripture. We find Jesus growing in wisdom, continuing to mature. Jesus was learning the Word of God while others were playing. You say, well, pastor, is there anything wrong with playing? Of course there's nothing wrong with playing. You need a little bit of leisure in your life. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Is that we have a whole generation that, that is committed to leisure and playing games and watching TV and, and being preoccupied and entertained. And we have a generation that is growing up with a lack of wisdom, with a lack of, of knowledge of the Word of God. Don't know how to live in this life. Jesus lived radically. He grew in wisdom. I'm going to ask you this this morning. Are you continuing to grow in wisdom? I'm not asking just young people here this morning. I'm asking people who now have got a few gray hairs. Are you continuing to grow in wisdom? You see, it doesn't stop. You hear me talk about the Kragers all the time in their 90s, their own, their own website, and they're continuing to learn and continuing to grow and continue to expand their understanding of, of life in this generation. I remember thinking that people in their 50s were so old. Got many people here in their 50s? I'm just about there myself. And now I think it's pretty young. <laughs> I thought people in their 50s were so old. Now I think people in their 70s are old. No. But I'm going to tell you, at age 46, and I thought I was turning 47 this year, but it was actually just 46. I'm so thankful for that. I gained a year. I, I still feel young, and I still feel there's so much more for me to learn. There's so, much, there's so many more ways for me to grow. And I don't mean just this way. There's so many more ways for me to learn and so many more ways for me to grow. And I want to encourage you today, if you've given up learning, given up growing, then get back on track and, and start opening your Bible and start to learn again, because it's never too late to learn and to grow. How many know that today? You say, well, Jesus had to learn, he had to grow, because he was going to be Jesus the Christ. What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you, God has a special purpose and a special plan for you. And it's your job right now to begin to prepare to do that work that God's called you to do. Now listen to me. Jesus lived for only 33 years. And it wasn't until he reached his 30th year that he began to use all of the wisdom that he had been able to gather in the years leading up 
to his ministry. Moses wasn't used by God until he was in his 80s. And during that time, he's learning and growing in wisdom. So I'm telling you today, my friends, I don't care how old you are, but you've got work to do. You've got to start learning, start growing, start developing. And don't wait for it to happen because it won't happen. You've got to... I, I, I was listening to Peter Zosky some years back. Anybody know Peter Zosky? He was talking to an author and he said, he asked the author, how is it that you actually can write six, seven hundred, eight hundred pages in a book. How can you do that? And the author said there's only one way to do it. Apply the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair. <laughs> That's the only way. <laughs> now, my friends, listen to me. The only way you're going to grow in wisdom is by actually sitting down and doing it. Schedule it in. Take time out every day and say, this is the time where I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to listen to that sermon on tape. I'm going to listen to that video or watch that video to help me grow. But don't be, don't be one of those people that quits growing the minute you get out of high school or the minute you get out of school. Because God's got a work for you to do. And if you're going to be a world changer, then you've got to grow in wisdom. He said, Pastor, I'm not going to be a world changer. Yeah, you are. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to change your world. Look at that person beside you. That person sitting beside you is a world changer. If they'll only show up and do what God wants them to do. Now, the second thing we find about Jesus is that he grows in favor with God. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Yesterday I went out to... Calvary Temple Youth Camp to pick up Jesse. Jesse was a counselor at camp this this week. He works for his aunt and uncle who go to Calvary Temple, and his aunt and uncle uh, paid his way to go and be a counselor at camp. Imagine that, eh? What a what a great a great uh, aunt and uncle. You go to camp, be a counselor, and we'll pay your wages there. When you get home, you you keep on working. So I went and picked up Jesse from camp, and this was a camp that I went to as a child. And I remember when I went to that camp. As a child, I, I was so taken with what the, what the chapel speaker was talking about that God birthed in me a hunger, a great hunger for God. And I wanted so much to know more about God. My parents weren't going to church at that time. They just sort of, you know, here's our chance to have some time away from the kids. We'll send them to church. <laughs> and so we were sent to brigades and my sister to crusaders. And, and when camp time came out, we were sent off to camp. But when I was there, God began to speak to my heart. And I tell you, folks, I could not get enough of God. Now, listen to me. In those days, I don't know if it's still doing this, but in those days they had chapel at 10 o'clock in the morning and at 7 o'clock at night. As far as I was concerned, that just wasn't enough. See, how much, how much church can you take, especially when you're at camp? I wanted, I wanted more. I couldn't get enough. I remember saying that to my counselor. My counselor said, how can we make your camping experience better, Alan? I said, well, could you add a few more chapel services during the day? I was hungry for God. I wanted more. I remember someone saying to me, you know what, Alan, you know, you shouldn't be so religious. Why don't you just wait? Wait till you're a little older. You know, my, my grandparents are religious. Wait till you're a grandparent. Then you can be religious. I said, no, I, I want God now, and I want as much a, a, of God as I can get. How many of you have got that kind of a hunger for God? 
How many of you really want more of God and are growing in favor with God? This is what Jesus was doing. He could not get enough of the presence of his Father. So where is he? Where does he go and hang out? He goes and hangs out at the temple. He can't get enough. His parents are, are separated from him for, for a few days. And where does he spend all this time? I was wondering that myself. But he's, he's on a retreat. He's at the temple spending time learning about God and, and learning to know God. Wait till you're older. Wait till you've got gray hair. Wait, wait till you're a grandparent, then, then get religious. But enjoy life right now. Listen, listen to me. I've been a pastor for 25 years, and I can tell you this, that those who wait till they become grandparents to get religion, to get religious, are people who go through tremendous grief and suffering. Why? I'm going to tell you this. If you came here this morning, you think God is a wet blanket and doesn't want you to have fun, then you don't know God. If you think that if you grow in favor with God, that this will mean that all your happiness will be taken away and all your fun will be taken away, then you really don't know God. Because I want to tell you this today. God loves you and He wants you to have the best life possible. He wants your life to be great. He wants your life to be wonderful. He wants your life to be full of happiness, full of joy. He wants you to do well at your job. He wants you to do well in your marriage. He wants you to do well in your family. He wants your kids to be happy. God wants the best for you because He loves you. But here's the problem. We think God is a wet blanket. He's going to interfere in our plans. How many people I could... It breaks my heart to stop and think about the numbers of people who've chosen not to grow in favor with God and have chosen instead to go their own way and do what they want to do. And they have brought to themselves multiplied problems and difficulties and struggles. I can tell you, I can introduce you to people who were at the camp with me, who are my age, who today, their marriage is broken up, Fighting addictions. Children haven't talked to them for years. Don't get along with their family. Life is a mess. I don't want to tell you something today, my friends. God doesn't want you to experience that kind of pain. He wants the best for you. And so Jesus, at this young age, grows in favor with God. I was reading some pretty shocking statistics. Lying, cheating, and stealing are becoming an acceptable norm among high school and college students, says Ralph Wexler, speaking for the Joseph and Edna Josephson Institute of Ethics, non-Christian institute, They're just looking into the ethics of young people. Listen to what it says. In a recent survey, the Institute reported that 61% of the high school and 32% of the college students polled admitted to having cheated on an exam during the past year. 33% of the high school and 16% of the college students said they'd stolen something in the last year. And 16% of the high school and 32% of the college students said they'd lied on a resume or job application. And it's getting worse. These are old statistics. Is it any wonder why now are all of our prisons and all of our jails are full and there's no room for anybody else to go in there? But we have a whole society who's chosen not to win the favor of God. 
They've chosen not to go the way of God. They've chosen to go their own way. And we've got a society that is falling into chaos. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm sick to death of turning the news on. Every time I turn the news on or look at the front page of the newspaper, it's about somebody who's been slain in Winnipeg. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? I'm sick of it. But we've got a society that used to walk with God. And now what are we doing? We don't care about winning the favor of God. We care rather about doing what we want. And so lives are broken. Hearts are broken. Society is broken. God's saying, return to me and grow in favor with God. I want to ask you this morning, how is your relationship to God? How is your relationship to God? You say, oh, Pastor, I was, I was uh, christened as a baby, and uh, I, was, uh, I went through catechism, and I did my first communion. Uh, Pastor, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I want to ask you, how is your walk with God? I did a, a funeral a few years back, and the family came to me and said, Pastor, we want you to do a, fu- a funeral for our great aunt, but... My great-aunt didn't like religion. I said, you know what? No problem. I stood up at that funeral, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was this. Folks, I want you to know Aunt so-and-so here did not like religion, and guess what? I don't either. Everybody's eyes wide open, their jaw dropped. There's a pastor here. He's going to do his, what is he going to do? What's he going to say? I said, I want to tell you something. What matters to God is not how religious you are, but what matters to God is your relationship to Him. That, my friends, is what Christianity is all about. It's not about how how often you experience the liturgy or how often you take communion or how often you sing the songs or how often you come and fill a chair or a pew in church. What matters is your walk with God, your relationship to Him. And I want you to know something. That this is what true Christianity is. It's about relationship with Almighty God. And yes, my friends, you can have that if you don't have it today. You see, it's been a long time since I prayed. It's been a long time since I've had relationship with God. Well, my friends, what are you waiting for? Jesus is not, is, God's not waiting with a big stick to hit you because you goofed up, made mistakes. No! He loves you and He's calling you to come to Him. And enter into relationship with Him where you can enjoy walking with Him and talking to Him. I, I know that when I'm driving along, I'm sure people looking in the, in the car at me while I'm driving think I'm, I'm a nutcase because I'm busy talking away there. What they don't know is I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to my, I'm praying. Especially when that guy cuts me off. Oh God, <laughs> help me to control myself. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. God wants this kind of a relationship for you. Where you can come and walk and talk with God. Where you can actually do what the Apostle Paul says. Pray without ceasing. He loves you that much. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. How do you do that? Well, you do that through His Son. You put your faith in Christ. Who is the expert at finding favor with God. Let me say something to you today, my friends. You want to have a strong and great relationship with God? It's through Jesus Christ, His Son. Not through the saints, not through Mary, and I love Mary. She's a, she's one of my heroes. 
But my friends, you talk to God through Jesus Christ. That's how you grow in favor with God. Thirdly, and i got to quickly move along here. Jesus grew in favor with people. You know what? Everybody thinks that teenagers are bizarre and weird. I don't know if we have any teenagers right around here. But I want to tell you something. Teenagers are not weird and bizarre. They get a little strange at times, but I'm going to tell you something. When I was a youth pastor, it was my first assignment when I became a minister. I, would, I had no interest in being a youth pastor. What I wanted to do is I just wanted to come out of Bible school and step right into the pulpit and be the pastor, be the preacher. But God knew that I needed to, to hang out with some young people for a while. So I became a youth pastor. And you know what I discovered, my friends? Listen to this. This might shock you. But the most godly, the most spiritual people around are teenagers turned on to Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Because they're radical for Christ. They're radical. They're ready to... Whatever God says, I'm going to do it. By the time you get to your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s, you say, well, I'm sure that God didn't mean it quite like that. Hello? But here are these teenagers ready to do whatever God wants. If God wants them to lay down their life, they're going to lay down their life. God says He wants them to die for Him. They're going to die for Him. Jesus was a teenager too. And the thing about Jesus that, is that he grew in favor with people. He wasn't that green-eyed monster, unable to get along with, with his elders. There was no generation gap. Jesus loved people, and people loved Jesus. You know, yesterday, we had some chores to do. I, uh, first of all, I had to get gas from my car. Filled the car up with gas and... Uh, Needed to, to get something. Walked into the, into the, into the little area where you pay. And I asked the, the young person behind the, the counter a question. The, that young person did not look me in the eye. Looked somewhere else and blurted out the answer. Totally rude and obnoxious. And I went to get my hair cut. And the person that met me in the, in the place where I got the hair cut, I made the appointment. I said, well, my name's Alan. I'm here. She said, just, just sit down. Of course, you know that that's like saying, get out of here. Go away. Don't come here. <laughs> we don't want to cut you. That's what I was hearing. I was quite, quite perturbed, quite put out. These young people nowadays, they're so rude. I want to tell you something, it's not just young people who are rude. How many know that today? It's not just teenagers who are rude. People of all ages are rude. But Jesus wasn't. He grew in favor with God and with people. Dr. Dobson says about young people, you should put them in a barrel at age 13. With just a hole, you can give them food. And when they turn age 16, seal the hole off. <laughs> and when they turn 19, let them out. <laughs> you know, what, a, what a bad rap. What a terrible rap. I'm going to tell you something today. A young person whose desire it is to grow in favor with God and with people, really quite delightful. 
But we have this idea that young people can't do anything with them. They're just so hard to deal with. The father said to his son, son, what do you want for your 18th birthday? And the son said, just a radio with a sports car around it. (laughs) (laughs) Then he went down to Nazareth. Jesus went down to Nazareth with his parents, Luke 2.51. And he was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus didn't fit the mold. He understood what life is really all about. Listen to me, I'm going to close with this. What is life about? And you've heard me, if, you, if you're at any of the sermons I preach at funerals, if you're at any of the weddings that I speak at, then you know what I'm going to say. Life is about relationships. Growing in relationship to God and growing in relationship to one another. Folks, there is nothing else. And for 30 years, this is what Jesus did. He grew in wisdom. He grew in relationship to God and he grew in his relationship to people. So by the time he turned 30, he was ready to go. Ready to turn the world upside down. I want you to know today that in the world, in the world today, there are two and a half billion Christians. Christianity is twice as big as the next largest religion. There's, no, there's nothing like it in the world. But let me say this to you today. When the time comes for you to say your goodbyes to all those who are left behind, what will they say about you? I would say this to you. If you want your life to count, follow the example of Jesus. Start growing in wisdom. Keep growing, developing, learning, growing. Grow in your favor and relationship with God. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. Know Him. And you can have that. And thirdly, start working on your relationships with people in your life. You're holding a grudge against somebody? Let it go. You're angry, bitter at someone? Let it go. It's been a while since you've hugged your kids? Hug them. You see, but they stink. (laughs) Hug them anyway. (laughs) Tell them you love them. You're mad at your spouse, your wife, because she burnt your eggs and toast before church today? Give her a kiss and say, honey, thanks for trying. (laughs) But reach out to somebody and tell them that you care. People let you down, let it go. Grow in favor with God, with people, and grow in wisdom. I want to show you this quick video, and then we're going to have our special baby dedication. Holiness is what I need. So take my life, transform it. Take my life, conform it. This is Jesus. 
Lord, I'm yours. I'm all yours. Would you say that today? Lord, I'm all yours. Take my life and use it for your glory and honor. Amen. Father, we thank you today for the example of Christ. Lord, we, uh, we sometimes fail to recognize that greatness does not just drop on our lap. Greatness, success in life, doesn't just happen by accident. There's a preparation time for that. And we find that in Jesus' life. Preparing himself to do great things for God. Growing in wisdom, growing in favor with God, growing in favor with people. Lord, help us, we pray, to take that verse with us today and make that, let that be the goal of our, of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We uh, have the joy of dedicating little Claire and Alina Hodgson, and I'm going to ask if uh, mom and dad and baby would come, and that's okay if uh, little Claire cries, and uh, she can cry as much as she wants. And I'm going to ask if uh, all the moms and dads, if they want to just come and stand in behind, and uh, I think we've got godparents here this morning, is that right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So if you want to just, just come, call and Cindy, come. You, you lead the way. And, and all the other people in the family, come and join us here for this very fun and special occasion. That's okay. Yeah, that's it. So don't anybody look at these people because they're shy. <laughs> so close your eyes till they stand up here. There we go. Yeah. So all the parents and everybody else, just stand around. That's it. And if someone's taking pictures, you can go ahead and do that. And what a, what a wonderful thing to have family. And so, uh, here's some little pictures of the little Claire. Is there music with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, here we go. So let's just take a look at that for a minute. Okay, Claire wants us to get moving along here. She's making it real clear here. The uh, act of dedication is, uh, is really a ceremony more for the parents and for uh, little Claire. And I'll tell you why. It's because Stephanie and Jeremy come here today and they are making a vow before God and before their family and before the church family, that they're going to raise little Claire to love and serve God. 
we uh, have a precedent for this in the scripture. We find ha- uh, we find uh, um, little Samuel being dedicated by his mother uh, Hannah in in the Old Testament, and then uh, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to be dedicated. And uh, and so yes, Stephanie and Jeremy come today, and they say we want to raise our child to love and to serve God. We're dedicating her life to God. And um, I want to just tell you something today, a little side note, personal note. This is going to tell you, I'm going to tell you now how old I am. My uh, very first baby dedication was Jeremy. <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm dedicating his little girl. And I am absolutely delighted, uh, not, at, not at being so old, but... <laughs> that I have the privilege of serving this family for so many years. And, uh, yeah, there's a very special relationship that, that I have with this family. And I'm really thankful to the Lord, thankful to the Lord for, for each one. And so I just want to remind uh, Stephanie and Jeremy that a parent's duty never ends. You are to continue to love, support, and be an example to Claire. You must be the one who takes initiative in loving and maintaining a right relationship with her. Your duty is to know what is in her heart. And if the relationship with Claire should break down for whatever reason, it's your responsibility to take the first step to making things right. You're dedicating Claire here in the sight of those who love you, your Father in Heaven, your church family, your earthly family, your friends. And I want to remind you that the Lord is watching over you, and so are we. And we agree to support and encourage you to partner with you to see that Claire grows to obey God. And so, Jeremy and Stephanie, if it be your intention to present this child, Claire and Elena Hodgson, to the Lord, and pledge yourselves to bring her up in the training and instruction and discipline of our Lord, please answer, we do, to the following promises. Do you here this day recognize this child as a gift of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you here this day dedicate Claire to the Lord who gave him to you? Do you hear this day pledge that you will bring up little Claire in the training and instruction of the Lord? Do you hear this day promise to give Claire every possible benefit of home, of school, and of church? And do you hear this day ask God's blessing upon Claire's life to guide and direct her through all her years? Good. We're going to little, I'm going to try holding little Claire. Come on, Claire. Look at that, I can still do it. With one arm. You were using two arms. I can, I, I've got three kids. I can hold a little one with one arm. Like, unless she's quiet now. Okay, let's pray for little Claire. Father, we just want to say thank you for this precious, precious little life. We just love Claire and Alina so much. And we pray, oh God, that your hand of blessing would rest upon her. We pray that you would give Claire's mom and dad the wisdom and the strength that they need to raise her to love you and to serve you. And we pray, O oh God, that this little life would grow in wisdom and in favor with God and with people so that she can make a difference in this world. And we pray these things in your name. And everyone said it? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And we're gonna, we got a closing song. And, uh, and then... Uh, The family will be standing here. You can come and greet them right after our closing song.